Welcome back in everyone to a wonderful new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a fabulous show to be sharing with you today. We had the honor of seeing this show last week. And when I tell you it's so wonderful, it's so wonderful, it's sold out. So this is how great the show is. Joining us to talk about this show is the playwright, Alice Jenkel, and the performer who plays the role of young Vita, Tasha Milkman. They're part of the show being presented by American Bar Theater Company entitled The Sweet Spot. It's currently playing now through January 27th at 59E59 Theaters, and you can get tickets if they're available and more information by visiting 59E59.org. This is one of those shows you have to see if any tickets become available. I'm sure it's going to be performed again somewhere very soon, but the story is just so so wonderful and the way the story is told is absolutely incredible and i'm so happy that we have the guests that we have to tell us more about it so with that let us welcome on our guests alice tasha welcome to whisper in the wings from stage whisper thank, thank you. you i guess tasha welcome back to stage whisper it's so wonderful to have you on as we were talking the whole show when i was watching i kept trying to put my finger on how do I know her? How do I know her? But I didn't want to come out up afterwards and just be that weird person that's like, we know each other. You we should. Somewhere. <laughs> but of course, we had you on last year when we spoke about Broken Box Mime, which is wonderful. We had a conversation with your cohort, Becky, recently about FizzFest. And now here we are talking about this great show, The Sweet Spot, which Alice, you wrote. And I'm going to start with you, Alice, on this. Okay. Tell our listeners a bit about what The Sweet Spot is about. So The Sweet Spot is about a long married couple in their early, probably 80s, who are living their lives, have been in their apartment forever, are starting to wrestle with age and where they're headed And they had put their names on a list for a senior community and figured that they had a couple of years before they had to think about moving. But on a morning when they're waiting for a call from their grandson about their great-grandchild being born, the phone rings instead, and it is the senior community called the Dolce Vita, saying that a two-bedroom has opened up and they have three days to decide whether to take it or they go to the end of the list. And we follow them through three mornings, three breakfasts, where they wrestle with this decision. And because I'm so interested in the idea of long-term relationships and what they mean to us as people and how complicated and challenging they can be. I also put a pair of younger Jerry and Vita into the story so that their constant memories of themselves and their lives keep coming in and out of those breakfasts. I love the way that you span time and and you just you almost wrote out the thought process right Mm -hmm. there for us. The inner dialogue was presented. It was so wonderful. Where did you come up with the idea for this story? So 
back in 2018, maybe end of 2017, the New York Times ran a series of articles on aging in New York. And in addition to that, I don't know a single person of my generation who, so I'm the generation of like, newly grown children and very aging parents, this sandwich generation, right? I don't know anyone in my generation who is not either about to start dealing with their parents aging, is stuck right smack dab in the middle of their parents aging, or has just come out of the other end and is wrestling with their feelings about losing their parents. So it seemed very relevant. And of course, the baby boomer generation is aging. So we have more and we're all living longer. So we have more elderly people in our population than we ever have at any time in human history. And we are trying to figure out how to negotiate that. And America, the United States, doesn't have a, a built-in culture or history for how to deal with aging. So the New York Times wrote this series of articles at a very specific time when 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 a lot of people were starting to think about this stuff. And one of the articles said that long married couples, couples who'd been married more than 50 years, tended to have more sex than couples who were in their 30s. And I thought about that. And I thought, who knew? What an interesting thing. And then I started thinking about older couples having sex. And I thought, we never even see that. We don't think about that. We don't honor that. And I I just found it fascinating. And I felt that it was very unfair that that is not represented in our, in our society, that we sort of like to lump old people together, put them out on an ice flow and not face it. And I thought, you know, there's, there's, there's we something can be done about this. Some, a reveal can happen. And then... Another article talked about how long married couples look at each other and see each other the way they've always known each other. So they may not look at each other and see they, their, their partner exactly the way they are right now. They might be talking and see them as they were right out of college, you know, so that there's a constant flow. So I wanted the memories to represent that. And Jerry has a line about that. He says, I I see you every way that you've ever been since I've known you, and I will take all of you with me. You know, and I so I I that that was something. I'm also very interested in the concept of taking two individual people and mushing them into a unit, into whatever kind of unit. It doesn't have to be marriage per se, but 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 a a, a life unit. I don't think that that's 100% natural to our species. I think that we're listed, humans are listed under serial monogamy. Swans are monogamous, but humans aren't. So when we enter into a partnership for life, we are accepting challenges and we're making a choice. And so I wanted that to be part of it too, that it's that that uh, a long-term partnership is something you have to work really hard on and constantly make new decisions together. That is fabulous. So wonderful. Natasha, I want to bring you in as Young Vita, as a performer playing Young Vita. And I'm curious to know, how did you come upon this piece? 
Well, you know, I think as a performer, it's kind of a nice story how I how I came into this piece. I think I had auditioned for American Bard Theater Company, of, I think maybe like a year and a half ago for a different play. And I got a call back and they did not cast me. And they remembered, you know, they it's one of those things of like, I didn't book the part, but but maybe I booked the room because they remembered me for this role and reached out, reached out to me and invited me to audition, which just felt like such a a lovely opportunity to to engage with folks that I had shared my work in the room with and it wasn't the right fit for that prior show and then as soon as I as soon as I received the script and the the sides for the audition I just fell in love with the writing in the story and I was so moved and it's it feels so easy to audition when when the words feel like they could have just come out of your own mouth and and that's how I felt about this script so preparing for the audition and coming into the room felt very, very connected already, like immediately for me. And yeah, it's a real honor to be a part of the story. That is so fantastic. And I love that, that phrase you use. I didn't book the part, but I booked the room. I love that. So with this, I mean, it is, it's a complex show dealing with multiple times and some really important issues that I think a lot of audience members maybe don't want to think about. You know, what was it like developing this piece? For me, like, I think also, and this is, this is a, I think, I feel like a, a great play often, like, at, at face value, it's about one thing. And then as you read it again, and you start to work on it, it becomes kind of about everything, <laughs> which was certainly my experience with this play. I mean, of course, there's the layer that we've talked about, about it being about life stages, about mortality to a certain extent, you know, of course, I connect to it and think about my parents and parents of my friends that are that are going through this this kind of facing end of life care so that's that's of course like a layer that that comes through for me and feels very very like present and emotional and but there's all these other themes too that i found myself and continue to find myself connecting to i think it's a very new york story it's about it to a certain extent hustling and did you kind of do you feel like you you got done what you wanted to get done are you are you sort of, where's your ambition? I've, I I connect to that at my stage of life, you know, and I think especially the character of Vita and I play her at a younger age, but I think she's still wrestling with that, you know, in her eighties is like, did I, did I, did I do what I set out to accomplish? Which I think is like a very, very present question that a lot of us ask at different ages. And I think that there's also something that's very special about relationship with self. Of course, I play Vita at different ages through her life and I think about, you know, she's looking at herself, I think, at those different ages. And certainly sometimes her partner is looking at her. But what is your relationship to your younger self? What is your relationship to your future self? That's like a really present theme that that I have found really meaningful to investigate. And then, yeah, just relationships. Like you mentioned at the top of, of this conversation, like it it spoke to your relationship with your partner. And I think no matter what life cycle stage you're at, like, how you relate to your partner and or if you have a partner or if you're just relating to the people that you love in your life and how you take care of them, I think is really present here too. And what are, what are the conflicts between, like as Alice said, like two people kind of put together into one is a very, very universal theme. Yeah. So I just, as, as I keep working on it, and even now that it's open, of course, we're still, I'm still finding like layers of resonance in so many of these really, really very beautifully human deep themes. That is so wonderful. So wonderful. Alice, I want to ask you the same thing because, you know, 
this is your baby. This is these are your words. What has it been like developing your piece? Well, to write it, I actually interviewed my in-laws because they were going through a similar life decision. And I saw the tension it created. I saw how they wrestled with it and with each other over it. And I thought it was fascinating and I wanted to get the details right. And they were very game and shared a lot about what they were going through. But it, it, it was all that all of the things that I observed, they admitted to and talked about and talked about how difficult it was, how scary it is to think that you might lose an opportunity and then find yourself unsafe, unmoored, unprotected. The finances of aging in this country are impossible. And therefore setting setting that up and making sure the other person is taken care of if and when is, is so complex and so emotional. So, so for me, that helped in the writing of it. And then I did a couple of readings of this and it was selected for a staged reading on the West Coast at one point. And I got feedback from that. I It had a staged reading in the Hudson Valley. It's I've been able to hear it. And one of the things that people would come back to me with is we want to see more of the young couple. And I, I was thinking, but it's not, I don't want to get distracted in that. I want to stay on the argument that's happening now. How can I give you more of the young couple? And do I need to give them an arc? And I, I was thinking, no, their arc is the arc of the older couple. So how do I do that? And it wasn't until we were working together on this production and we were sitting around at one of the very first table reads that they brought me into so that the cast and the director and the producers could ask me questions about the script and say, you know, maybe we need something here or maybe we need something there. And I ended up being the one asking most of the questions and saying, oh, can you stop for a second? Because what you just did is great. And maybe I can judge it a little. And I had my computer there. And to have this unbelievable cast who, as though they sprang from my head, I mean, exactly what I pictured as I was alone in my room writing this, have them be able to respond right there and have us be able to try things out was was remarkable. And I learned the biggest gift for me from that development period was that the youngs don't need an arc of their own. They needed a little more presence to feed the arguments, to feed the conflict, to so that we could see historically where some of the language came from, where some of the habits came from. And so then I was able to write some more for them that made total sense. And it was the first time that that comment, we need more of the youngs, made sense to me. So it was really helpful. That is a fabulous interpretation of the process. I love that. Sticking with you on this next question, Alice, I'm curious to know, is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from the sweet spot? So I'm not a messagey gal, but, and I don't believe that theater should ever be preachy or teachy. So for me, it's about living 
with the characters emotionally, taking an emotional ride with them, feeling it, thinking it, and coming out and discussing it. And I think the most important thing about this is that you are, that 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 we are who we are until we die, and that we don't need to be afraid of the elderly. The elderly are impassioned, are sexual, are themselves, have wants and needs and goals and desires and schedule and fights and all the things we have at every stage of our life. And I think if we can take anything away from this, it's it's about truly looking at an individual at every stage of their life as an individual. I love that. That is so brilliant. And it's so well communicated as well in the show. Oh, good. Tasha, how about you? What What is the messenger thought you're hoping audiences take away? I mean, yes, similarly, I think, I think that I, I, I hope that, that people leave probably any show that I'm a part of with kind of more questions than answers or, or, or things they want to keep unpacking and, and, and discussing with their, with their friends and with themselves. But I think, I think that this piece is really powerful in that. Yeah, it, it does. It centers folks at a time of life that we don't always see them centered. I think that like, there's a lot of stories that are written about people in their thirties and their forties or their twenties. And I think that it's powerful what Alice has done in centering folks in their eighties and really making their younger selves a valid part of that story, but a secondary part of that story. And, and I mean, I don't know, it's secondary is not really right, but supporting the, supporting the, the stage of life that's at the center. And I think that if, if people can, yeah, walk away thinking about thinking about that being a really central, vibrant part of life, I think I'm saying exactly what Alice is saying. Not yeah. just like being repetitive, but no, I, just, I love the way you're saying it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a powerful thing that I think that it it's it's pushing against the boundaries. I think of of a lot of the stories that I see on stages, and I think that's really special and 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 unique. I also think that there are a, another reason that I really sat down to write this is that I have a lot of I've been in theater for a really long time. I started as a kid actor here in New York and I've worked all over the country and I have friends in the business of every age and a lot of my friends and a lot of my mentors are aging and are getting really 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 crummy nanny roles or you know the 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 mother-in-law who we never see except for two scenes and no meaty roles. And these are people who have worked for so many decades, have so much to give, are at the top of their game. And so I wanted to write roles for my friends and 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 help help provide that. Yeah. And just to jump in about process too, I know we already did the developing question, but the it's been such a privilege to, I think, also work with Joel and Nancy, who are, like you say, Alice, I think they both have very long careers and they are at the top of their game. And I don't always work with artists. I, I often work with artists that are my age or maybe they're 10 years older than me. 
or, you know, they're, they're, I see them as a couple steps ahead of me in the industry, but it's different to work with somebody who has that breadth of experience and that depth of experience and that lifelong, not only life experience, but professional experience. And I feel like every, it's just a privilege to be in the dressing room with them and to be working with them as a peer on this project, because we are, we are a different generation. And I learned so much from, from just absorbing (laughs) the wisdom that they have. And I think I think it would be a big loss to not continue to create meaty central roles mm-hmm. for the people who have the most experience in the room. Yeah. And it's wonderful to see there. I, I said wisdom, but it's like it's not like they're sitting there with all the wisdom and they're just kind of imparting it. They're still wrestling. They're still they're working exactly the way I am as an artist and and figuring out how to how to tackle the next moment. And and it's just but it's just wonderful to be in process and in, in that artistic wrestle with somebody who does have that depth of experience, which is unlike any other process that I've been a part of. But also, I think and you bring up something interesting here. It's not about. It needn't be about comparing older people and younger people, because as you age, there are challenges and there are things you can't do. And there are some things you can do better than you could before, but there are some things that you can't do anymore. And I think, I don't think we need to sugarcoat that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just all part of life. It's all part of life stages. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I say to my friend, you know, I, I realize I, I, I look at my friends who I've had since I was seven and I was like, okay, we all like went to high school together and then we all negotiated, you know, the, the SATs and are we going to go to college? And then we, you know, the losing the virginity and then the, are we starting our career? And then are we going to get, are we going to partner up? Are we going to have children. And we went through all those stages and then our kids are graduating and then there's the empty nest. And then there's the dealing with your parents, your aging parents. And I was so at first frightened by that. That stage frightened me more than any of the other stages until I normalized it for myself and said, wait, it's just a stage like deciding whether to have children or not. Like partnering up or not. Like we're all starting our careers. Now we're doing this. And if I could normalize it somehow and just make it part of life, then maybe it can be less scary and we will stop marginalizing Yes, the elderly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. There's also something that's resonant with me about the, the, the just the length of the marriage. I think that that's something that's not every, not every marriage lasts as long as theirs. And I think, you know, for, for different folks, I think it, it, it may hit different resonances. I have so many friends whose, whose parents are aging alone. And I Mm -hmm. think that, you know, and in my family, my mom died in her fifties, you know, so my parents didn't have the opportunity to, to age into this stage together, which I think, you know, I think that it's, it's also a big, powerful, like, yeah, theme of the play is, is them making this decision together and and having this length of marriage that wasn't always easy and wasn't always simple, but, but coming to each stage of life as a pair, which, which not everyone has and, and is a powerful and challenging thing too. Yeah. So well put. My final question for this first part, I'm going to toss to you, Tasha, and I'd love to know who do you hope have access to the sweet spot? Oh, 
I mean, everyone, that's one of, it's such a, it's such a wonderful problem to have that we totally sold out. <laughs> but at the same time, it feels like, oh gosh, I think everyone needs to see this show. And I think the, you know, the, I think the theater industry at, at large is, is all, is all, we're always trying to figure out how we can get more people into the theater and and more people maybe from from different walks of life into the theater. Yeah, I would be curious. I mean, if I had all if 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 I could fantasize and dream about all of the different things, you know, I would love to see how like a high school audience would respond to this. I think that's some that's a group that that at as at present I think hasn't hasn't seen this show. You know, young people always sort of are the most honest audiences. <laughs> they really tell the truth about what they're experiencing in the moment. And I think, like we say, it's it's such a it's a show about different life stages. So I would be curious to to share this show with with really young people. Um, that's a curiosity of mine. But yeah, I mean, I think like we've said, it, it's got this sold out run. Like we said, there are tickets that pop up on the, the website. So to please go and see if you can see this show. And I really hope it has, I know it'll have a next a next production. And I think that it will, will be special to share it with with folks from from all different walks of life and 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 in different parts of the country too. Like I said, I think it's a very New York show and I think it resonates really beautifully with New York audiences. And I think those themes also will pop in different ways in different parts of the country. I, I want to piggyback on what you said because it's a New York show. Yes, it takes place in New York. I'm a New Yorker, but my in-laws who I interviewed are from Northern California and when I interviewed them and they were wrestling with this, they were in Virginia. So I do, I chose to give it that urban quality because I do feel that the more specific and the more local a story is, the greater, larger, more global the resonance is. So I needed to make these people real. So I made choices about them, but that doesn't mean that I hope only helps for it to be a, a global story. 100% agree. Yeah. On the younger people, I have actually seen a 15 year old just called me the other day because she saw it and said she, she said she cried three times and then, and that she, she totally, totally was engrossed and she loved the romantic scenes <laughs> and oh they she did have some interesting viewpoints about some of the arguments that they had that involved fantasies and other people and she was like whoa how can that be and her father was like that's life and she was like that can't be and you know just the the difference in in view of what a romance really is was fascinating to hear. And then I spoke to high school students, a couple of high school students who who came and said, oh my God, it was exactly my grandmother. Mm -hmm. So they were still not seeing it in terms of themselves, but they were seeing it in terms of the people that they are related to. On the 
the second part of our interview, we love to let our listeners get to know our guests a little bit better. Pick your brains, if you will. And I know that we're a little short on time, but I cannot let you two go without asking you our favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Or Tasha, in your case, what is another of your favorite theater memories? (laughs) Because this is the one that made me, that solidified the fact that I was going to go into theater. And I was eight years old and James Earl Jones was playing Lenny in Of Mice and Men on Broadway. Mm. And my parents are not in the theater, but they're avid theater goers. And they took me and my six-year-old brother to see Of Mice and Men. And we sat in the second row and James Earl Jones was downstage center. And he was, I think it was at a point where he's petting the dead mouse in his pocket and he was crying And he was crying so much that like he was like spewing and every orifice in his head was just leaking and loud, loud crying. And I'd never seen a grown up do this. I'd never seen a grown up do this. And 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 my mom was like passing tissues down the aisle and the entire audience was silent. And when he breathed in, everybody breathed in. And when he breathed out, everyone breathed out. And I was eight and I was like, "Okay, I'm in. This is it. I want in in any way I can. So that's that will always be my my go to theater experience. If it sounds a little rehearsed, it's because I've said it a lot of times, but it is. It was it was a pivotal moment for me. Oh, my gosh. I'm just getting chills thinking of that. (laughs) That is an incredible memory, though. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for letting me. <laughs> Asha, how about you? What's another one from you? Listen, I sort of stalled because I think I might have told this story the last time I was on the podcast, but I think I have to tell it again because it's my it's also mine, you know. I was in college and I was actually doing it was a mime show, which is another part of my artistic practice, but I I was playing the part of a guardian angel who who falls in love with her earthly counterpart and decides that she's going to rip out her wings and (laughs) join this like mortal as a mortal on earth so that you know there was more to it than that but there was this scene and all of it is mimed right so I'm wearing black there's no scenery there's no costume there's nothing except for my hands and my performance that's telling the story and conjuring the images in the audience's mind and so there was this kind of major scene where I used my hands and my physicality to show these these magnificent angel wings and pulling them off of my body kind of graphically and then jumping down from a cloud. It was college. It was it was dramatic. (laughs) But my roommate at the time, who was not a theater person at all, she came to the theater just basically to support me. She was not like even a theater goer, I would say, but she would come to my shows and she would support me. And she was at this particular show and she liked it. And 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 that was that. And about a week later, she called me on the phone and she said in with some, you know, she was in a hurry and she needed to get this done. And she said, I'm doing a project and I need angel wings. And do you still have them from the show? And, and I, I could not understand what she I said, you need wings. She said, do you still have the wings from the show? And being a theater person, I thought about the wings, like the soft goods, like the curtains, you know? So I was thinking about something physical and I was like, well, I don't know if we could get those for you. So we had like a whole conversation <laughs> For like five minutes. And it was because she had imagined those wings so much that she thought to call me and ask for them to physically borrow. Right. 
right? Okay. The- this is my new favorite theater story. Isn't this amazing? I do remember you it's, telling us about that. That so is incredible. incredible. It's like, it gives me chills just thinking about it. I cannot, I still cannot believe. And like I said, this is not a theater person even, but she was so, she imagined that so fully that she really believed that she could borrow those things. <laughs> that is a testament to the power of theater right there. Right, right. The imagination. Yeah. Amazing. And to Tasha's physicality, which I must <laughs> say. Stuck with her. <laughs> She's so good on stage. And she just has these, these moments of total physicality that are incredible. Oh. <laughs> I love that memory. Thank you for sharing it again, Tasha. It's so <laughs> amazing. I was searching for a different one, but I was like, no, that's my story. I think I just have to tell my story. It like sticks that's with like me. A, that's the best one I've ever heard. That's incredible. amazing. Well, thank you both for sharing those memories. They were so wonderful. I want to ask now, do either of you have any projects or productions coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? I do. I'm in pre-production right now for a new play called Dirt that I have co-created with three playwrights and the Putnam Theater Alliance. And it's going to be up in the lower Hudson Valley for its inaugural production in March. And it's about the struggle for land and land ownership in the Hudson Valley right before the revolution. And it focuses on three historic characters who actually lived in the Hudson Valley at that time. One is Daniel Nimham, who is the Wappinger chief. One is Mary Phillips Morris, who owned all the land in Putnam County, up through Dutchess County and down through Yonkers. And one is Caesar, who was an enslaved miller on the Phillips family property. And we commissioned three writers to to fill their stories authentically and three writers who who share cultures with these characters so that they can tell their stories honestly. And then it was my job with these three playwrights from around the country to weave them together into a big show. So into one play. So that's what that's what I'm in pre-production on. And it will be premiering up in Putnam County, starting near and we're going to tour. It's our Putnam County tour. We're going to hit three, the, the producers are from three different theaters and came together in the Putnam Theater Alliance that we co-founded to bring this, to bring new new work and to co-produce new work that's more ambitious than any one theater does by itself. And so we're going to tour the three theaters throughout the month of March. That's so, so cool. Yeah. I will, I'll just take the opportunity to plug Broken Box Mime Theater. I, there are a couple projects that we haven't announced yet, so I don't think that I should do the announcement here because <laughs> we haven't quite announced yet. But keep an eye on Broken Box Mime Theater. We have a, a couple things coming up this spring that you should check out if you haven't seen our work yet or even if you have. And you can do that by following us at brokenboxmime.com is our website and also on Instagram at brokenboxmime. Well, that is a perfect lead into my final question, which is if our listeners would like more information about The Sweet Spot or about either of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Well, 59 East 59th has a website and all the information about the show is on that website. Yes. And I would also say follow American Bard Theater Company. They have a lovely Instagram account that's been posting beautiful pictures from the show and 
they are the, you know, the producing producing team behind it. So definitely follow their work as well. And that's another place to learn more about the current production of the sweet spot. And then I can be found on my website, alicejankel.com, right? And, and Tasha- I've got tashamilkman.com. Wonderful. Well, Alice, Tasha, thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this amazing, amazing show. It has been such a delight speaking with you. And I really appreciate both of you taking the time to stop by. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you you. so much. It's really wonderful what you're doing, Andrew. It's like so such a treat to get to talk about the work that we're working on. And it's like I said, it's such a privilege to be a part of this show and and wonderful to get to share it, share some of my like experience here and really appreciate you. Absolutely. I I do. I I echo everything Tasha says. I echo everything Tasha says just in general. (laughs) The feeling's mutual, Alice. (laughs) I echo your words when I speak the the ones that you wrote too. So (laughs) thank you both for that. My guests today have been the playwright Alice Jenkel and the performer playing the role of young Vita, Tasha Milkman who are part of American Bard Theatre Company's presentation of The Sweet Spot. It's playing now through January 27th at 59E59 Theatres. And while it is sold out, if tickets do become available, they are available along with more information at 59E59.org. We also have some contact information for... American Bard Theater, as well as our guests, which we're going to be posting on our episode description, as well as on our social media posts. But I cannot recommend this show enough. Make sure you are constantly checking 59e59.org to see if there are any cancellation tickets or any tickets become available at all, because you do not want to miss this show. I am sure it will be produced very soon again, whether it be here in New York or elsewhere. So make sure you stay tuned for the show. Right now, it's running now through January 27th at 59E59 Theaters. And of course, again, the name of that show is The Sweet Spot. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.